Call me Klingon Phoenix Wright while I yell objection. It's V'ger, please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I still don't belong here. I'm still an innocent man. I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter! What episode of Star Trek Enterprise did we watch this week? We're going back to the old space clink well, Joe. It's season two, episode 19, Judgment. Coming to us uh, first aired April 9th, 2003. Teleplay by David A. Goodman. Story by Taylor Elmore and David A. Goodman. And directed by James Conway. Three new names. Well, Jimmy Conway, I know. Because Jimmy Conway is uh, a major DS9 director. Uh, I think he did some Voyager episodes. Yeah, uh, none of them uh, your your favorites. Uh, the 37s. Ooh. Persistence of Vision. Uh, that's the one with, uh, or am I thinking Cold Fire? Which one? Persistence of Vision. That was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the that was the one that started. That was the Demi-Q. The Demi-Q episode. With the that, Bodice uh, Ripper intro. Correct. Persistence of Vision was good. I like that one. Uh, Death Wish, which was the first Q episode. A Herald Ooh. of Destruction. Yeah. And then uh, he did Innocence, which was an all-time stinker. That was Tuvok in charge. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he, he's got a good uh, set of DS9 episodes, which is what I know him more from. And I mentioned last week, I really like this episode. I still really like this episode. And I like it because I think that I just love the look into the Klingon history of this is an empire in the state of falling. You know, they're not fallen yet. We see like the further evolution of this into TNG and then into the final consequences in DS9. And it was very cleverly woven in as a piece of the story that tells you, you know, what happened, that what the arc was looking like in this point in, in the history of, of uh, the galaxy. Joe, what have I always said about Klingon episodes? You don't like them. I don't like them at all. And now nope. I can tell you with certainty that there is one Klingon episode that I can say is my favorite Klingon episode. And how interesting that Judgment, my newly minted favorite Klingon episode, has absolutely nothing to do with Mr. Klingon himself, Ronald Moore. I, I do want to withhold... There's so much Klingon content in DS9 that Ron Moore both does and does not have things to do with that your opinion over the fullness of time, of course, may change. That said, yeah, he's not the full keeper of the Klingon lore. He was the one most into developing it in TNG. But the thing is, is as the other shows happened, other writers picked up what he was putting down. And I think oftentimes came up with better stories like this one, like a story that both shows and tells things, different things, about a complex society that's a major part of the Star Trek universe. I think that's just really cool. I think that... Right after saying that I feel like there's no Ronald Moore in these Klingons, uh, and my exposure to Ronald Moore majority, of course, his Klingons being through TNG with, of course, Barge of the Dead, in Voyager, um, I feel that to this point, uh, Judgment is the most TNG episode of 
enterprise that we've gotten so far. I would agree with you. This is an episode that's all about talking. It's all about dialogue. It's all about holding on a two shot between two actors, basically, you know, or just your primary focus for the entire thing. And it's much more dialed down in that respect. And that, that makes it feel more like TNG, which was, you know, was constrained by the technology and budget that they had available to them. And it was supported by a really strong script, uh, a ultimately feel good idea and some very simple moral framing uh, that still included a, a big hill for someone to have to climb and conquer and come out a better person despite the consequences after it. I, I think if this episode has a flaw, though, it's that it just once again highlights the fundamental weakness of Jonathan Archer as a character. Because I, if if it if it was missing something, it was the scene where Archer ultimately tries to get uh, Koloth to make the turn on accepting his his desire to be robustly defended. And it just kind of happens very suddenly. And that the scene was very weak because once, once more, I'm sorry, Kolos, not Koloth, different Klingon, you know, Kolos was just very easily persuaded, even though Archer wasn't making a very good argument. I thought about this heavily because what you're saying it's missing is that part in a next gen episode where, um, Picard would get up on the moral high horse and bark down somebody who was going the wrong way and effectively bully them into righteousness. I think you're right. I think what this was missing was as a character with the presence of Picard, whoever that might be, it doesn't have to be Picard specifically, but like even I could see Janeway being more effective here. I can see so many other like leadership oriented Riker like could have made that that case and that connection. And Archer's just so weak that, you know, Kolos eventually becomes, you know, rises to the occasion. But I feel like the motivation was just not very well presented. Yeah, it's a it's it's a yelling moment. It, like I said, it's, it's that yeah. barking. You must. You, mu- you, you don't know. deserve to wear that uniform, you know. Exactly that. And uh, in this one, what's what, what's his name? Col- Kolar? Kolos. Kolos. We're going to have to come up with a better name for him. Kolos uh, has an easy scab to pick. And yeah, it's a, it's a relatively easy task of Archer just kind of prodding and, you know, hey, tell me a little about yourself. You, you seem like, you know, you used to be willing to fight the good fight and you know it's too bad you're not still like that so either yeah there could have been a scene in there where archer barks down kolos or kolos sitting at home in his klingon apartment looking at his a uh, cup of blood wine and then you know crushing it in his hand or throwing it at the wall and and just something to explain yeah that switch into determination or or looking at like his law library and seeing like records of his past successful defenses, because I thought that was such a clever move on their part that this isn't a system that has completely disintegrated yet. It's not like the Cardassian justice system, which mm-hmm. is, you know, portrayed as being a farce. 
This is a system that did work, and it worked within living memory of this character. He says in dialogue, like two-thirds of the way through the episode, like, how many cases have you won? He said, like, 200. So, like, he used to be hot shit. He used to be able to stand there and actually get his clients, you know, not guilty verdicts. So the, the fall of Klingon society, the decline of it, has occurred in his time, and he has witnessed it. And he has become jaded and cynical as the system has become more uh, difficult and less just and less honorable, which because that feeds so directly into what you then see in TNG, which is this is an empire that has become so uh, rotten that Picard has to step in to mediate a a succession dispute and there's civil war and then into DS9, which I won't spoil, but it gets worse. There's a conclusion to all of this. And it's like, this is the before time. This is like right as the decline has started to reach terminal phase. Yeah. Yeah. And the people who knew when it was still together are there and they know it's falling apart. You know, like his dad was a teacher. His mom was a botanist. There used to be Klingons that did things, that built things, that invented things, that had a society. And it's slipping away and it's slipping away in front of them. And that is such a cool cool idea for Klingons specifically and to use the prequel format of Enterprise to tell. Well, not just the Klingons specifically. It's the fact that you have a well-established race. You know what the Klingons are about from original series forward, and especially the TNG stuff. So yeah, being able to tell this radically different story that, as you said, fits into the the fabric of Klingon and, and show us something completely different. I think that's really what I'm latching on to here is that it's you are seeing all of the things that are not Klingon and that's painting the picture of what the other part of Klingon is. So uh it's great and i like this episode i'm gonna go ahead and call this a great episode you know we'll cut to the end here for a second uh but that even the shortcomings of archer as a character you know him missing the uh the bark down moment i I still didn't even really hang on to that or it it didn't even really bother me And, and maybe that's just because we've seen I was just happy that Archer wasn't being a petulant bitch. Yeah, he was he was okay. Mm-hmm. He was a C plus. But I feel like if you put a more compelling character into his role, uh, this could be elevated beyond what it is, which is already good. It well, could have been, this would have been a great episode of a different show. Quick sidebar. And let's talk about the. What did you want to characterize? What are we calling the uh, the bark down character? The Janeway, the Picard, the Cisco, the moral voice. Character. No, it's got to be more the the. Yeah, I know what you what you mean. It's like it's the it's the leadership template. Um, it's the righteous it's, leader. Yeah, I, I mean, the, it's, there's nobody in Enterprise that I think could have perform that action in that scene there's the servant leader servant leadership is what describes almost every starfleet captain uh they all have their style but they're all willing to die for every single person in their on their crew they're willing to to lay down everything necessary to ensure the right thing happens yeah but this goes further in these scenarios because it's not just a willing to self-sacrifice it's the ability to but that comes with a moral clarity that, yeah and, and but, say you must do better. I, I can't do this on my own. 
And now I need to turn you into my instrument of righteousness to overcome this obstacle. I think that self-sacrificial willingness then leads to the ability to inspire others to the same. You know, uh, it's a prerequisite. Archer is, like you said, he's self-focused, self-absorbed. You know, night in sickbay keeps coming up in my mind, right? Like this the, is a guy more worried presence. about his dog than his mission. Yeah, but there's there's just no one with that force of presence. Yeah. In the no cast, one on the show is that guy. Yeah. Short of maybe Shran. Yeah, Shran is probably the only character we've seen that probably possesses the ability to move someone. And that's sad. And I think maybe that's a big part of why this enterprise cast and crew comes off like warm oatmeal-y. They're just young and too petulant. And I think to go back to something we've discussed before is that had Mayweather been that salty old, uh, you know, chief, right? That could have been your guy. That could have been the guy that could catch someone who's down and, and, and bark him into shape. So uh, this episode opens up on a wicked looking claw gavel. It's like this gauntlet that the judge yeah. has his hand in. And it's Star Trek six, man. It's the same thing. The claw gavel. And it's this big old uh, ball. Maybe there's an infinity stone in there. Who knows? And he's banging it on this fucking tin plate and sparks are shooting off. Yeah, I mean, this this episode is a, has a lot of callbacks to Star Trek six specifically. You know, it has not only the same like setup in terms of the courtroom and, and the aesthetics. It goes right all the way down to the what the punishment is for the Starfleet captain at the end. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same one. So but I, I'm down for that. That, that. that movie had good aesthetics. Let's You can copy from that. It's OK. We quickly establish what's going on. And it's our classic Star Trek scenario of a uh, harsh kangaroo court setup and then we have our uh defeat not defeated but our duress looking starfleet guy dragged out under the spotlight and we can tell they're going to be in for a rough time instantly i can look at archer i can see there's no bad blood special effects makeups on him he has not been roughed up his dick is absolutely soft and yeah that he's not been given and not nearly enough head wounds for him to have an erection yeah, so um, the stakes can't be that high. When they cut back from the theme song, uh, we we get flocks coming in to do some fake disease treatment so that uh, there can be dialogue between the two of them that fills in some necessary details for the audience, which is Enterprise is safe. It is in orbit. The crew is attempting to extradite the captain from his current predicament, which is not yet been explained. That is serious enough that both Starfleet and Vulcan high command are attempting to intervene on his behalf. And Archer is able to briefly give flocks, you know, direction of that, you know, to, to Paul and, and trip should be preparing to leave without him. If this doesn't go right, like there's a limit to what you're able to accomplish here. And, you know, I'm counting on the two of you to make sure our baby gets out of here. I want to go back to the intro credits. Uh, I caught that during it, that the co-executive producer is now John Sheban and Chris Black, which are both names that we've seen several times pop up as uh, script writers. And I'm wondering if the torch has effectively been passed at this point. 
if uh, Bran and Rick Berman see like an escape route to get out of the rut that they've been uh, forced into and just, okay, you, you, you did a couple scripts. This is good enough. And we think we can hand this to you long enough for us to go sit down in the other room and take a nap. I mean, I don't think they have too much to do in terms of writing for the rest of the season. Uh, you know, they, I think they've got one joint credit left. Braga and uh, Berman. I, I take it back. I think they might have more than that because I think they do write the finale uh, as well. So they might have two episodes. It just seems interesting to me that, that both these guys popped up as script writers and now all of a sudden they've got these co-executive credits. You're like, you know, that they know that this hasn't gone well under their control, you know, mm-hmm. and they've come to the conclusion that they've got to make some got to make some changes. So uh, one of those changes will be that we're going to get some fresh blood in here. Maybe they can make something of this concept that we haven't been able to connect with yet. Or maybe we get a scapegoat Patsy, you know, Hollywood. <laughs> fire someone at the end of season two. Mm, there it's going to be these guys. We'll see. Um I like that at this point, I'm still not able to tell if we're going to be getting a cool trial episode or if this is going to turn into our. Uh, God, what was the last one? Two Con Aramar? Was Con Aramar the last one? Well, no, the the last episode we did was the crossing, which was the possession episode. OK, so that's almost I you meant the last jail episode was Con Aramar. I mean, that's almost back to back jail episodes. So that's all that true. stuff we said about barely anything in between. <laughs> Nothing of substance anyways. So I'm like, okay, cool. This could go uh, either way. I look forward to seeing what happens here. Why not both? Pleasantly enough. Uh, I love that as this, this bullshit trial begins and the, uh, the rules that we're going to be playing by here is the classic. The accused isn't allowed to talk. All communication must be through their, their lawyer. And if you can't afford your own lawyer, the court will point one for you. Luckily for classic Tremere tribunal rules. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I like how I, I don't forget where it points out, but like, uh, you know, his his advocates like, yeah, the prosecutor, you know, he's he's a good one. He's got some he's got some good wins on his belt. And the Narcher's like, well, how about you? And he's like, well, I've done my duty, which to me read like, you know, I, uh, I'm the guy they bring in when it's time to take a knee. And, you know, Nicolos is Randall Scott. Which is a joke for you and me only. Yeah. <laughs> but it's exactly who he is. Just He's Randall up. Scott. He is the guy you bring in to put up just enough effort that you tried, but not so much that you're going to actually be threatened. Mm-hmm. The Mr. College try. I'm going to be handling all of your uh, your defense. You're not allowed to talk. And I think that the best uh, way for us to get through this is we're just going to sit down and shut up. And also, I don't care what you think the truth is. I know what the truth is and we're going to be going with uh, my way. So it's a very ugly picture painted right off the jump. And as the court proceedings begin, the prosecutor calls out the first witness essentially. And it's none other than uh former captain Duras. Uh, it's just that those Durases they just keep turning up like bad pennies past and future. And here we are, the origin of Duras being a, the, a watchword for shithead uh, <laughs> is this guy. And I really like what they do here because what they start with is Duras telling the story 
of the encounter that he had with Enterprise from his perspective. And you be- it begins with him relating that he's been demoted, that he is now second weapons officer on some outpost out of the way. He's no longer a ship captain. And he tells the story. You know why, of an- Joe? And why is that? Because Klingons don't take L's. No, they're very bad at taking L's. You might remember us discussing this heavily during that uh, craptacular. God, what was that fucking stupid episode with the no marauders? Marauders, yes. Where a a, a pirate vessel full of Klingons were surrounded by <laughs> and the dumbest booby trap ever and told to stop misbehaving or else. And they all said, OK, well, we're going to leave and not come back and just fucking murder rape everybody. This is what happens in the Klingons. You fuck up. You go from being a captain of a fucking warbird or whatever to being a, a portageon cleaner on Hoth. He tells the story and he's like, he was the captain of a badass D5 class battle cruiser, right? Like this is he's not handing out tickles. This is a big deal. He was on the hunt for Klingon fugitives. He encounters Enterprise, you know, and it's like told from his perspective. So like Archer's being uncharacteristic. Yeah, Battleship Enterprise. Death to the enter death to the Empire. He's super aggressive. And what we see happens is that Duras is stupid, both in the past and the future. And uh while he didn't kill Worf's baby mama and get his his ass absolutely wrecked as a consequence here. He does blunder into a classic human ingenuity <laughs> setting the fart on fire move and gets his ship disabled. And that's like the I first time that this epic that also happened in the fucking jailbreak episode last time, right? It it did. And I, I what I what I what I want to what the perfect part about this element here is he gets done with telling the story and the prosecutor even bags on Duras and is like, man, you're lucky your sec- your first officer didn't fucking murder you on the spot for being incompetent. Get the fuck out of here. Like, he's just openly disrespected after telling his story of how he like blunder cats his way into getting owned by the humans. And they're like, oh, that's awful. You suck. You should be dead. Get the fuck out of here. And all of this disgrace is Archer's fault. Like this, you know, the, the Klingon empire is always kind of run as this, um, analog to the Soviet union, right? The red threat. Uh, and I think particularly in TOS. Yeah. Well, I think there's some great fall of the, the USSR here and the blaming people for bigger problems. And then using the, sacrifices or the hardships those people have encountered as someone else's fault and weaponizing that as like a guilt almost like there's some real clever stuff going on here but back to duras uh i I do want to say that not only uh, is this guy able to uh continue the long tradition of being treacherous needlessly violent and untrustworthy uh but also showing a great appreciation for cleavage and and Klingon boobies, so A plus to yeah. his uh, I don't know weapons officer or whatever was going on yes, back weapons there. Weapons officer is the finest Klingon chick we've seen in some time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was good. I did enjoy those flashbacks. The D five that he's in charge of. Jump over to what was the Voyager uh, Klingon baby Jesus episode? I know when we're talking about the one where where Neelix gets 
to yeah. gets laid and destroys uh, two yeah, Speaking of cleavage, the last time we saw a good looking Klingon, <laughs> one of the best hookup scene of all time. I mean, in in fiction, period. Truth. Yes. I, yeah. 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 Uh, so <laughs> the uh, the generational Klingon ship that was a D five too, wasn't it? Um. Good question. Because I. That would mean that that ship. Don't think so. Look it up. Let's 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 put some time in on this because that would mean that so ship was departing the Empire roughly this time span. I think D five. What was that called? Uh, does not have a voyage. So yeah, it's just just a class used in Enterprise. But I mean, I was saying just based on the way it looks, it's a it's a chonker. This thing is as a monster. Like it's even commented on in in the uh, the dialogue of like, yeah, Enterprise has no shot against this thing. It's and it's not coming to fucking play hopscotch. It's coming to fuck you up. Uh, but that is not the the style of ship that was encountered in the uh, Delta Quadrant. Real quick, I want to say I, I, I'm trying to figure out what episode of Voyager that was. I Googled Tom's Voyager Tom's baby special because like, you know, it's like, hey, our baby is special. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> threshold lizard babies all this other stuff and i'm like his poor daughter has to live in the fucking shadow of these goddamn trans warp mutant lizard I mean, kids. she is the third the fourth child of wow Christ. yeah she's got some real interesting uh step siblings there or no i think it's called prophecy prophecy is the name of that episode and the it's a D seven. It's a D seven, not a D five shortly after this. But you know, that's interesting because it ties into the, the, the bigger conversation here, which is the empire is straying from the old ways. There are changes. There is a growing discontent, uh, held by some about the way things are going and a desire to change things. Um, the advocate here is going to do things his way. That group of pilgrims or whatever we want to call them, they'll ultimately go out their own way. Do they put a time on when they said they departed? Whatever. That's that's that, that's uh, that's it, it, it all feeds into the story. No, you're absolutely right. Like the timing, maybe they left later. Maybe they left in this era. Who knows? But the idea here that the episode is planting and that prophecy also did was there were Klingons who were discontented with the state of of the falling of the, of Klingon society. It's not a direct parallel to the Soviet menace in terms of like going from Imperial Russia to Soviet Russia, but it does have a similar theme of like one order was being replaced by a different one. And it was not sitting well with those that had seen, you know, what had come prior and considered it better. And, and I think in this episode, clearly they're portraying that the former, iteration of the Klingon empire was an unalloyed uh, improvement over what is now in front of them. Uh, but in any case, it adds to the tapestry of like the Klingons aren't what they used to be. I also want to go back to Duras for a moment too, since we have now seen such a long sweeping selection of Duras's and they're always the same guy doing the same or girl doing the same underhanded shit. Like, Duras really is the Biff Tannen. Yes. Star Trek. 
And just like Biff Tannen, these Durasses just always end up covered in shit and regretting their actions. I'm happy to say we're not done with Duras, even in this season. Well, that makes We've me got very more good. Duras content to come. I look forward to, to seeing him with the hoverboard in the next one and the cool spiky and, hat. So uh, the the first act ends with, you know, Archer trying to interrupt as uh, we'll call him Randall Scott refuses to actually intervene for, in his defense and he gets pain sticked <laughs> and hauled away. And that's when you get the first, you get the weak scene we've already mentioned, which is they're in the cell and Randall Scott's like, yo, you don't understand. Uh, This is, this is the way things work. I've struck a deal with the magistrate. They're going to spare your life. You just got to sell out where these fucking dudes are that you're protecting. And it's, and it's fine. And Archer's like, no, you know, what is this? You know, this is nonsense. Where is the justice here? And, you know, Kolos, you know, suddenly starts to make the turn that he actually wants to give Archer a correct defense. The bridge that Archer forms with Kolos to create that persuasion point. Uh, And and I guess this is my objection. This is my... uh, my problem with the episode is uh, Archer doesn't like go after Colos and be like, you must be the great man. You used to be, you must fight in justice. You must cling to your morals. You know, you don't deserve to wear that, you know, that, that Picard moment. Um, Colos is like, yeah, Hey, listen, here's this deal. I can have you not go to the fucking gallows or however we execute people, you know, the, the fucking chopping block. But like you said, you know, where some fucking, uh, the, these war criminals, as we're branding them, uh, really, they're political refugees. You got to tell us. Also, big side note, and I, I kind of like it. You never really explains how Archer somehow ended up in Klingon custody. Yeah, it wasn't important to the story, so they didn't and bother to explain it. The best example of this ever is like there's this huge plot hole that how the fuck did this happen? It's like. It doesn't matter because this is the fucking story we're telling. And it's such a good story. It justifies like completely skipping that because there's cool shit we're going to do on uh, planet Hoth here in a couple minutes. You know, I, I to me, actually, the fact that they, they spent a little too much time on Enterprise. Like, I think the episode would have been improved if you just never saw what the Enterprise crew was doing to try and solve the problem. I agree. And but, you know, they got to have they eventually come at the end and be like, yeah, we solved the problem off camera. We what we were doing wasn't this really the story here. It was what you were doing, and we just stayed focused on that. Like the cutaways they did up there were actually distracting. I actually never thought I would say that the weak part of a Klingon episode for me was the Starfleet parts, and that's exactly what you're talking about. Um, <clears throat> so hey, you can save your own ass, and maybe this Colos uh, guy should have already had a prejudiced opinion of the humans because he didn't know any better or whatever. He becomes jaded and just tell us where the fucking rebels are. We can save your ass. Don't make this hard on me. And Archer does say, I'm not trading my life for those other people. Well, you don't know. Well, I do know that they don't deserve this. And that's, that's the ethical strong point on Archer. That's that self-sacrifice and that I'm not selling these dudes out. uh, And if I have to die, then I stand by that. And I think that's really the, the strong point of attachment Colo should have had said wait hold on motherfucker you've got honor let me let me real yeah like maybe that should have 
maybe maybe it really was just that Colos needed to like recognize the honor and Archer and like have it inspire him to be like, I need to be stopped being complacent in this system and do my part to try and make it work, even if I know it's a futile attempt. Because that is my, that is how I fight. That is how I'm a warrior. I'm mm-hmm. a warrior in this arena. Like it's clear they were that's what they're going for. We haven't mentioned it yet. JG Herzler does a great job playing this. Terrific. Guy. You fucking feel it the whole way. Like you get who this dude is. It it just was missing a little bit of that some connective tissue to really make it hum. Maybe it really didn't even need a better performance. It just needed a little bit more opportunity for Colos to like come around and demonstrate his strength of character. Let me plot pen it. There it is. Uh, Colos doesn't know anything about humans other than what he's heard, because obviously the Empire's not singing songs and praise about the fucking Humies. Uh, hey, you know, roll over. Tell us where these dudes are. No, I'm not. Uh, some arguing there. And then maybe Archer says, you know, listen, when I dealt with you guys before on this and that, and then he goes, well, what are you talking about? You know, certainly you didn't do these other things, which is cool. Call back, back to broken bow, back to uh, whatever the gas giant uh, sleeping dogs. Right. Yeah. Colos goes home, reads about it. OK, you know, this human actually hold on a second. This dude's embodying all the stuff we honor. Uh, he's doing us better than we are. Now, here's the moment where I'm going to throw my glass at the wall and fucking, you know, go back to the old Colos. I'm going to go fucking raise some hell in the the the, the courtroom there. Uh, important part to the scene, you know, at the sacrifice of not creating that stronger connection is uh, as best I can tell, the Klingons are trying to feed Archer a targ dick with pubes. <laughs> Definitely an unappetizing piece of targ from a part of a targ that could be his dick. That is straight up targ dick, pubes and all. And that gets a lot of screen time. It's fucking gross. It even gets scanned with the tricorder later on. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a source of protein. That's that's what we know. Both coming and going, literally. Ooh. So they start uh, <laughs> day two or round two of the uh, court proceedings. And this time, Colos is going in full of piss and vinegar. And he's, talk- he- he's talking bylaws. He's talking charters. <laughs> the chlorophyll uh, code. The code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's, he's bringing it all onto the table. And and this is the key part about it. Yeah, he's he's you know, he's he's calling nature as a retest. He's mm-hmm. doing it all. And. It's right at that spot where this isn't a broken system yet. It's a system in decline, which means it is still responsive to 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 Kolos coming in and saying, no, you owe me the opportunity for a defense. I know I haven't been taking it lately because we all know the score here and the deals are being made in the back room. I am telling you I'm not doing that today and everyone's going to have to fucking eat their oatmeal and get over it because you know this is still how it's supposed to work. And the the magistrate's like, yeah, yeah. Prosecutor, shut up. He's allowed to do this. Like, judge if he wants to put his fucking pants on today. We, we doing it. You know, let's go for it. And I like the judge and that he is not happy at what he's seeing, but the judge still has enough integrity and goes, well, he is right. The rules are the rules. And I am going to choose to enforce them. Uh, and we're all going to be unhappy about it. And Kolos gives uh, Archer a chance to retell things again, going back to living witness. You know, it's not the battleship Enterprise. It's Starship Enterprise. Uh, Dura shot first. I tried to work it out. 
So Colos is like, uh, there's rules, there's regulations. We're going to follow them. Uh, this dude's owed our respect. I forget. Does he lay Archer's accomplishments out at this point or after Archer tells us? After. Yeah, that's at the end. So he goes, uh, I'm going to let this guy talk. I'm going to, I'm going to give him the stage and, and we're going to, we're going to roll the truth out. So, uh, again, it's that nice part of living witness where we've already seen the warped version of what happened through the non-creditable source. And now Archer's going to get up there. No, we're not the battleship enterprise. We're the starship enterprise. Uh, we were out, we found some people that were calling for our help. We didn't know who they were. It was just a distress call. We went over there to go do, you know, some good deeds. Uh, we knew that Duras, we saw that there was a warbird or bird of prey. The default battle cruiser here was coming out. Uh, we were ready cause we were afraid there might be some problems. Uh, but we tried to diplomacy this thing, you know, and, uh, unfortunately we were fired on first. Uh, luckily I'm human, so I know how to set my farts on fire. Yeah. I mean, it's technology I haven't unlocked yet. I understand. Also, you know, luckily for the budget of this episode is we've got a pretty good explosion effect that we get to you use two times in the same episode <laughs> of us. No new effect shots here. We just do run it back. These torpedoes, they don't do a lot of damage against hulls, but they are great at setting farts on fire. And, uh, we blinded. The Duras and uh, off we absconded with the uh, with the refugees. And it's during this time, I want to say that we start getting some flashbacks of what these refugees were about. Yeah, Archer talks to them. They're like a part of a colony that got annexed by the Klingon Empire and then all their stuff stolen. I love like starving or whatever. I, I thought this was a great story. It's great perspective. Uh, I love that it's not the entire episode like Marauders. Yeah, and you know was. it's true because we saw the same story with Marauders, right? Like that they show up and they just take everything and they leave. You're part of the Empire now. We're going to provide for you. There's That's the cool part. And that's like kind of the Soviet Union tying on this is that, you know, we're promising you a better life for being a part of the system. And little did you know that we are going to bleed you dry, hang you out. And then, God forbid you fight back, we're going to come over here with a, a, a death squad, basically, to kill you. And That's right. Vigor, you. please, anti-communism based. Pew, 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 pew. Okay. <laughs> uh, but it's it's this great story. And uh, it, it set me down this entire secondary path of, like, imagine it's the future. And right there is this post-scarcity utopia of holodecks and replicators and all this federation liberty and all this other stuff and unfortunately you were born on a colony six light years away from the fucking border and you and your planet are subjugated by the fucking klingon empire and life fucking sucks it sucks to be in poland man (laughs) you could you could have been you could have been in austria Instead, you're in Poland, you know, and that have been in the West's orbit. Instead, you're in the East's orbit. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's that is your life is just maybe if you're even lucky enough to look across the way, you can see how good life is over there. But over on your planet, you're basically back in the fucking dark ages. And it's like, you know, Warhammer every now and then a spaceship will come down, collect slaves or people are going to go off your psychers and roll out. Mm -hmm. Also, we'll be taking Dark Tide is awesome. I I, you just given that a try? No, I did not spend money on that. I actually fell into uh, Guardians of the Galaxy on PlayStation Four, and I'm God. fucking loving that. You know, Warhammer's—I've like, got 
I've got that Spider-Man and God of War to get through on PC still. Well, I've really been impressed with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, but Warhammer, just real quick. It, it, that is the one game like I've never had any desire to play the RPG or the, the figures at all. But man, I go I vacation into the lore so hard and it is. Oh, yeah. So the best developed fictional world, period. Like and that that's something that our hobbies that I watch like, oh, you know, this guy's not really into trick or this guy's not really into like, you know, vampire or whatever the other stuff we've been into. But like they can just come in, have fun with it, enjoy it in a small quantity and then leave happy with none of the jaded. Oh, you know, they changed the fucking game on the last version like that. That's me on Warhammer. Same. I, I I. I did for a short time actually play the miniatures game, but it was just too much and I wound up giving it up. But I, like you, I'm addicted to the fictional universe, the lore, I've read the books. I think about uh, it a lot. It depresses me thinking about like <laughs> the fact that 40,000 years from now, the universe will still exist. And if humanity is around, it will be completely unrecognizable. And like how sad if that's what we turn into. And I think that the fact that it's kept its hard edge, despite a oh, lot yeah. of cultural influences that would would want it not to have that edge is you got D and D over awesome. there saying that they're not going to refer to things by uh, races anymore. Yeah. And meanwhile, 40 K still has like your, your good guy faction is still a bunch of racist space fascists. <laughs> like it's a bad place. It's a, a grim darkness. Of Everybody is war. bad in it too. It's a true world of darkness. It is. So, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, things and, and what positions they can end up, in the future, Archer lays it out again. It's still suspiciously absent uh, as to how Archer was ever captured in this. But in the end, you know, here it is. And uh, the prosecution tries to twist his worlds or his words around. Oh, you knew that we were coming. You knew that you were harboring people. You shouldn't have. You laid a trap. You know, you fought dishonorably. Um, you know, there there is enough truth here that we can kangaroo court this forward and, uh, you know, judge, we, we're going to turn this over to you. But before they do, Colthar makes his Colos, uh, Colos, you know, he hits him with his trap card. Right. He, he says, listen, I'm not saying that Archer ha- isn't guilty of being a presumptuous human that meddles in our affairs, but he meddles in our affairs in a way that's not aggressive and has never been. He didn't destroy Duras's ship. He, in fact, explicitly declined to do so, despite the fact he could have, because he doesn't see the Klingons as his enemy. He helped reveal a, a Suleban plot to manipulate us to the Chancellor himself. He rescued a Klingon ship that was trapped in a gas giant. Uh, he's annoying. He's guilty of being annoying, but he is not guilty of actual crimes. And it's a very clever line to take to say i'm not saying you didn't like set a trap and fuck up duras did you see that guy fuck that guy but you know there's he's this is a misdemeanor not a felony i did like the prosecutor's ending statement too was like we're letting this dude off easy like he basically declared war on us we're not going after his his crewmates we haven't you know sent out uh, hunter gangs to get his uh or, we haven't gunned them down as they're in orbit over us we haven't declared war on our people on their people you know we should be sending fleets to earth to go conquer it for for interfering with this so there's very high stakes in play here and again they right. are answered by the fact that like archer has through his meddling and it's the same deal with the the vulcans right this is exactly what the vulcans accuse him of like 
mind your own fucking business. We want you to mind our own business so we can continue doing what we've been doing, which is not good stuff and not, you know, you're, you're forcing us to confront these shitty actions we're taking. And whereas ultimately the Vulcans are going to pull themselves out of this um, morality spiral, uh, the Klingons will not. But for right here and now, uh, judgment is levied by the judge who goes, well, you know, you put up a good fight uh, and, uh, you know, we're not going to go with the worst possible thing. Unfortunately, prosecutors, right? So while we're not going to execute you, we are going to send you off to Hoth to, uh, you know, mine spice or whatever the fuck's going on over there. Rurapenthe is the <laughs> yeah. exact same ice planet from Star Trek Six, and we know that because well, eventually when we cut away to it, they're going to literally use the film footage from Star Trek Six to show the ice planet. Uh, before we get there, though, we do finally get a speech out of this episode, and it comes from Kolos when, you know, at first the prosecutor objects, and then he then Kolos decides to object and lay down a hole that, you know, there. this isn't just, this isn't right, this is a death sentence, yeah, same as just executing him. You've, you've made the facsimile of honoring justice by not, by giving him a lesser sentence, but we all know that this isn't just. Like, he shouldn't be punished like this for what he's done, and you know it, and I know it, and we all know it. And when you start speaking those kinds of truths, you wind up going to, to, to the pokey himself and he is visited by a well if you uh have such opinions perhaps you should go to repente for a year yourself and that's after the judge has perhaps the longest however therefore in light of here's the bad news but here's the good news but it's bad news but the it's good is news. also cursed yeah but it's bad <laughs> news but it's good news and then yeah ultimately that the big fuck you like your ass is going there as well. And I was like, oh, shit, this is really going in a direction I was not. And that's great, too. It's it's not a predictable script. That's what I really liked about one of the many things I really liked about this. Prior to the uh, the verdict, uh, there is a nice heart to heart that Archer gets to have with this guy where they share some blood wine. And since we didn't get to see it happen organically, uh, Kolos. I'm sorry, Randall yes. Scott catches him up. Scott, oh, by yeah. the way, you know, I'm actually a solid dude and uh, you've reignited my passion. Yeah, uh, I, I, I was Klingon Perry Mason, BT Dubs. Like I used to I used to I used to get guys off all the time. They roll out this Klingon cast system. And to my knowledge, this is the first time that they talk about it. It's not just the warrior class. The warrior class is what's poisoning the rest of us. There were scientists, there were, you know, my mother, like you said, my mother was a biologist. My father uh, was a professor. Like we, we were a great empire. I remember all the stuff you talked about. I, I remember it being a great empire. And unfortunately the warrior caste has become corrupted and they've confused um, bullying and uh, pillaging as honor. And basically, you know, I don't know if he blames the hip hop or whatever, but like the youth has been corrupted by this uh, falsification of honor. I, you, you mentioned um, Rome before. It is a bit of a cold take to talk, compare things to the fall of Rome. But, you know, there's a clear historic parallel there of, you know, this was a, a society with a very entrenched civic system that eventually got um, 
co-opted by a military that would essentially put leaders in place by force. And this led to the degradation of the civic society within the Roman Empire uh, and the crisis of leadership and uh, that would occur as a consequence. And it's part of that is the, the violence doers of our society have decided to go beyond their remit and force other parts of society to conform to what they want to make them supreme and preeminent at all times. This has a downstream effect of the youth. Now that's all they want to do. So they're not thinking about that. There's other roles within Klingon society that they need to uphold. And now here I am in my elder years and I'm seeing the consequences of this and I don't like it. Glorification of violence. Yeah. And to, to an extreme extent. Right. So that's, that is the moment where we kind of get the real inside insight to the moral rot that is plaguing uh, the Klingon civilization. And I thought that was a really excellent moment. I like the idea of this caste system. It was great to be able to see and to formalize what society, and they even make fun of in the episode. Like what do you, you know, you thought I was a warrior. You think we're all warriors. Like, no man, like for all just a bunch of fucking sword dudes who, who's developing warp drive, who's farming the food. Like, there is this there is a lot more to cling on than Star Trek has shown you. And this is a great way to open your eyes to it. And and this moment in particular, like. I, yeah, I don't want to bring it up too much because this is years into our future. Presuming we even do DS9, we likely will. And presuming we get to the end of DS9 where this is like tied into that in a way that's awesome. And we'll get to it at some point. But there, there's. There's a moment with Worf where he has to reckon with the entirety of this history. And thinking about that and thinking about how they've tied this story into that, it's just these are guys who actually understand the continuity that they've built. They know how to add to it. They know how to add more depth and more story and tragedy and and drama to it. That's just very cool. It is. Uh, ultimately, like I said, there's the fake out that, nope, despite a great argument and some some really excellent courtroom action, uh, there is still effectively a death sentence being handed down. Again, not only for Archer, but now Grandpa Klingon's going to get it too. And they're sending <laughs> them all out to the salt mines. So we cut over to Hoth and we've taken Planet Hell and we've uh, really Give zoomed nice, in. Yeah, a little nice white uh, sheen on it now. Mm-hmm. And there they are covered in animal hides furs. and furs. Straight star six, six furs, just like if it was Kirk and McCoy <laughs> mining away. They got their pickaxes and they're, you know, knocking snowflakes off the wall or whatever. Dilithium, right? Correct. There's even a great uh, line in there. One of the guards throws at him like, <laughs> we mine, we're mining, our ships run our, on Our ships run on dilithium, not talk. <laughs> you got time to lean. You got time to clean. Uh, and we see that Archer's got his six o'clock shadow now, so it's been some time. And right there he is alongside Grandpa Klingon, suffering alongside him. And uh, the life expectancy was that it's going to be six months to a year before he's dead. Uh, and, and it's not a good time. But lo and behold, as they're sitting there commemorating, 
uh, on basically a job well done and that, you know, they enjoy each other's company. There's a nice little scuffle there with some very generous guards who, despite the fact that Archer beats the shit out of one and hits him with his own pain stick, they don't just, you know, cut his dick off, put him in his mouth and leave him to bleed some fucking Vietnam shit. <laughs> Uh, they they just slap him around a little bit and says, you know, I see you do that again, and 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 you're gonna be really sad now. Uh, along comes a hooded figure, and oh, whoever could this be? Turns out it's Malcolm Reed, who has, as we have discovered, uh, has found uh, the more ancient way of of the uh, jailbreak, one we don't often uh, see in these circumstances. How do you free someone? You just bribe everyone. <laughs> just, just bribes. Yeah, yeah. It turns out you're right, Kalos. Uh, the the Klingon justice system isn't what it used to be. So we went ahead and just paid off a corrections officer and paid off a smuggler and uh, let's go, boss. Uh, rides waiting. <laughs> we are just breaking you out of jail by buying it, buying you out of it. Flip up to the little bit of enterprise that we did see in here. I suppose there is an important scene where the uh, verdict gets announced that Archer is going to forever jail and Trip and T'Pol face off. And T'Pol's like, we're going to leave. And then Trip's like, we can't leave the captain down here, which is something that we have seen dozens of times to this point, yeah. it feels like. Too, too much. And clearly. normally what happens is uh, we are going to pull out a wild card. We're going to abduct uh, the captain back and then we're going to ride off into the sunset. And this is perhaps the first time where they've said, no, we can't shoot our way out. We are at the heart of fucking Klingon space. They can go warp six. We can only go warp five. And even then, like the fucking lights shake out of their fixtures. They've got massive guns. Like we cannot win this fight. This is a no win. And this is the first time that we have seen basically uh, to Paul have to take a loss in a leadership capacity, but she does say, you know, listen, I've got people I've worked with before and there are other ways to deal with this corrupt government. And as you said, it's going to be fat bribes. So, uh, Reed gets down on the surface in his, uh, thieves guild outfit. He's he does snuck on. He goes, Oh, cool. Captain. I see. And I, you've here's this Chewbacca life debt figure next to you. Uh, or, yeah, we, we, get, we got a whole list of bribes and we're going to get out of here. And then Archer's like, well, you think we got room for one more? And he's like, sure. And then we get this uh, another great scene in this episode where the dude's like, I can't go. You go because you got fucked. Like, you, you need right. to get out of here. Yeah, like, clearly you need to leave because if justice was not done. But if I'm going to be true to my principles, I have to serve out the sentence and then I need to go back to work. Yeah, you know, I need to I need to have the will to live through this, and then I need to to follow the strength of my convictions and and not go quietly into that good night, and uh, and and says no, you, you're gonna have to. I can't do that as a fugitive. You got to go. I was coasting before. Now I'm back on the clock. I've got a mission. There's a holy war that needs to be fought for the soul of my people, and I cannot do that as a fugitive. So it sucks. I'm here for a year. But I can serve it. I can get out. Like, I got to let it at the end of the tunnel. You, you're, you're going to fucking die here. And you better hope that uh, <laughs> fucking space. Uh, what was his name? From Shawshank. The red oh, Hadley? <laughs> no. The redhead guy from the last. Oh, Boggs? <laughs> you better hope they're going to cling on space, Boggs, here. You're really going to be in some trouble. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I'm going to get out of this and I've got a conviction now. And that's going to be what gets me, you know, he's like, Oh, would you say six months a year? It's like, those are, that's six months to a year for people here for life that don't have anything to live for. And, and death is better, but I'm going to get through this. And, uh, once I'm out, it's going to be go time. And I thought that was so cool. I, again, not at all expecting this guy to say, I'm going to, I'm not going down with the ship, but like, I'm getting through this and I'm coming out harder. I'm going to get my fucking reps in. It's, it's fucking Klingon of him. It's, it's his, it's him as a warrior, you know, like they, they, they weave that story through it is he is a Klingon warrior. He's a Klingon warrior for what he has decided to excel at. And you can see through that, like what Klingons used to be like a Klingon scientist is someone who is willing to take that warrior ethos to a profession mm-hmm. instead of to the battlefield. And, you know, this is, this is a, a new expression of that. And it's played by a veteran Klingon actor who, because he'd played a Klingon before for an extended period, he knew the culture he was getting into. He played a Klingon protagonist too, which I think is important. So he didn't like play like a bad guy. He played someone that was, you know, embodied Klingon ideals in a different form. And so, you know, he was able to dial into it. Does a great job. Best part of the episode by far. Oh yeah. Basically carries the whole thing. And it winds up being a very good episode because of that. I would like to think that we might get to see this dude again. I wouldn't be Hang surprised on. if we don't. And sorry to tell you that the, the your your desires will be thwarted there. Also, it's a powerful scene and sentiment is that here is this guy getting ready to go out and fight the good fight to try and save Klingon culture. And we know um, he's spitting in the wind. It's it's it's. Uh, it's not going to be salvageable. Klingons are going to have to hit that low point. Klingons are going to have to go into war with the Federation. And it's not going to be until, you know, some, uh, some Kittermer Accords, some Enterprise C action, some Picard diplomacy, where the Klingon Empire really starts to turn around, clean up its, uh, its bullshit. And it isn't until DS9. Like this story ends on the second to last episode of DS9. And it's an incredible episode. It's probably my best favorite episode of Trek. I don't see people talk about it enough uh, of when all those chickens finally come home and roost. And then they do so in a way that's perfect to the story. So, yeah, season two, episode 19. You know, I know we've got some people out there listening that are not actually watching the Enterprise episodes along with us. And you are smart for doing that because for the most part, yes, dodge most terrible shit, but I would absolutely say this is worth a watch. Uh, I was very pleased with how this one came out and uh, I'm finally happy to have a episode I can point to and say, yeah, there's a Klingon episode. I like, I'm happy to tell you that we got a winning streak coming up here because you need to tell us what we're watching next week. We're going to be moving into, Oh geez. Hold on. I'm in Voyager. <laughs> Where'd my memory go? D5 and D7 Battlecruisers. That's exactly what it is. We're going to be moving into Season 2, Episode 20, Horizon. Ooh, some space trucker. Yeah. Space freight liner going down the, the streak here. While Enterprise diverts, from an, diverts to observe an unusual planetary event, Travis Mayweather takes time off to visit his family on the cargo ship where he was born and raised the horizon. I space like boomers. 
I like it. Good. Some more trucker yeah. justice. Hopefully, you wanted uh, some more trucker justice. Uh, well, the show's about to deliver. I have a feeling this I'm is- going to like his dad a lot more than I like him. <laughs> I'll I'll say nothing else except that it'll be a good time, and uh, we look forward to seeing everyone next week. Peace. <laughs>